0: Welcome to the podcast world. You're listening to the Playing On Podcast. My name is Carl Markowski, and thank you for joining me. This episode is brought to you by Charm City Paintball, who makes the pack band, the Markowski pack band, that I wear on my pack. I don't know if you guys saw it, but it's the American flag, uh, the American flag pack band. It is amazing. It uh, It was made by Mike over at Charm City. He makes headbands, head wraps, all kinds of cool stuff. Make sure you check him out, uh, Charm City Paintball on Instagram along with Facebook. All of his work is custom. I, I think it's usually under ten units, um, so so everything is is super low run, custom, high quality, great stitching. Uh, the fabrics are amazing. They're tough. They're durable. Uh, he has old school fabrics. That uh, that sandanas uh used to be made out of, along with some of the newer things like the uh the the rip stop materials and whatnot. But uh, he makes he makes amazing products. Uh, make sure you check them out again. Charm City Paintball uh, on Instagram, along with Facebook. Uh, we are also brought to you by CK Fight Life, who is not only involved in paintball, but they also have a uh, a whole jujitsu side that they are building. But as far as paintball goes, they have pants, jerseys, uh, packs. But the to me, the coolest and most unique thing that they uh, they provide is a laser, laser engraving service. Um, if you've seen any of, uh, I believe, San Momville or uh, Yeah Yeah from uh, Houston Heat, they, they have a lot of stuff uh, laser engraved from them. Um, I think a few of the Dynasty guys have some stuff laser engraved from them. But it, it's amazing work. Make sure you check them out. Um, ckfightlife.com And if you are a, a, a newly jiu-jitsu advocate uh, like myself, make sure you check out all of their uh, jiu-jitsu uh, geese, rash guards, shorts. And uh, they also have uh, they have the long rash guard pants. They have all kinds of stuff. I have one of the geese. Um, it's amazing. High-quality stuff. Uh, it's super durable. It's it's amazing uh, and, and all the guys over there are, are great work Chris does a great job with uh, with that whole thing and uh, if you guys are interested make sure you check it out ckfightlife.com and if you're more of a phone person you can give them a call 9512195045 and ask for Tony and tell him that Carl from the playing on podcast, Sent you over there so thank you to fight uh ck fight life and last but not least we are brought to you by planet eclipse who has come out with the cs2 and and i'm sure that everybody out there has seen them but it is the uh the aftershock splash cs2 and lv 1.5 holy shit these things are nasty man uh, when i first saw them i was like okay all right, I saw a little proof for them. I was like, well,
1: "Yeah, these these are pretty nice."
0: And then once I had them in hand, I was like, "Holy crap! These things are amazing." Um, they're 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 full, uh, three hundred and sixty degree anodizing all over the place. Uh, the colors pop. They're bright. I'm not the biggest fan on big bright markers, but this thing takes the cake, man. Um, I, I enjoy it, and I was you know I'm a big advocate for the uh, the LV1 platform. Um, that they just shoot amazing. But I'll tell you what; these new CS2s are pretty slick. Just the small innovations that they've been doing. Uh, I believe they they've redesigned the bolt system, the uh, the actual uh, foregrip where you have the two AA batteries. They now eject out of the bottom. I thought that was a pretty cool feature, and uh, and and they have a shorter feed neck as well. But uh, and and the actual the, the trigger system on it is pretty intricate intricate too, and. Just, just the, the the design team and the work that Planet puts in is is amazing, and and they do a great job for the paintball community and the paintball world in general. So, so thank you uh, to Planet Eclipse, along with all of our sponsors, Charm City Paintball, and CK Fight Life. That's all the ads. So this podcast is with Bart Yakimak. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, especially ever since I started doing the podcast, uh, in general, I've been wanting to get him on here. We went on a few rants. Well, I went on a few rants, but, uh, you know, things I wanted to get off my chest and and really hear from the horse's mouth, uh, and, and who better than Bart, because he's so involved with, with everything. And, uh, and from what I got, I knew Bart was a great guy, but from what I, what I got from the conversation, is that he is really one of the people that are on board who really want to help this sport succeed um, on all platforms whether it be uh, tournament style whether it be scenario or anything he he really wants to put his best foot forward and uh, and see this sport in in the spotlight and uh and whether it be with Ghost Sports, uh, you know, streaming on Facebook. I mean, that was another huge conversation that uh, that we got into. But um, you know, he wants to see the sport grow, and agreed with a lot of the stuff that I was that I was approaching him with, which was uh, pretty interesting. But, uh, but enough of my babbling. Here is the podcast with Bart Yakmek. Bart man, what's going on?
1: Hey, just kind of chilling, relaxing, working now back in Canada. Yeah? And uh, no, it's all good.
0: So um, if you don't mind me asking, what is, uh, what do you do for a living?
1: Basically, I'm in the car business. Mostly uh, I got uh, six stores. We have a Honda, Chrysler, Mitsubishi, Honda, Nissan, Acura, BMW, Mini. Nice. And then I have some land-holding companies that I deal with. Um, but other than that, that's about it. I've got a pretty good, I mean, I've been at it for, I've been a dealer since 28. I worked for my father from 85 to 88 full time. And I I ended up getting very fortunate in a sense of applying for the Chrysler store in 88. I was 28 years old and got a franchise. Really? Yeah. So, and I, but I, I mean, I really worked my, I worked out of fear back then, (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, you worry about being successful and, and, uh, bell to bell and Joanne will test to that seven days a week. And then, you know, I, they saw the drive, I think from a Chrysler perspective and a young guy that <clears throat> could make it, make it work. And that was a Jeep Eagle franchise, small, small store in the beginning. And, uh, I remember with my father, it was, uh, I was running both of his stores, Nissan and Honda at the time. And he, when I got my own franchise, he said, "You're allowed to take." We had seventy of them staff, and he says, "You're allowed to take one person," because I had a lot of loyal people. My father was semi-retired, and uh, so I ended up taking one one employee and, and grew the business from there.
0: Well, wow, I mean that's, and you know, a lot of people, and, and I've noticed this as I've, uh, as I've grown up, and uh, the world became more more real as you grow up, and um, you know, I looked at a lot of successful people, and and at first. I think a lot of people do this. At first, you look at them with, with jealousy and some kind of like, why them, you know, and and why this and why them and why this, and you can even take it to uh, to eminent impact themselves, you know, and you, and you look at it and you go, you know what, it comes down to one basic thing, hard work, and and, and the more I've the more I've read about it, the more I've uh, I've witnessed it myself. Uh, it, it, it's truly just hard work and putting in the time and and everything you have and being passionate about it. And I, I can guarantee you that some good. You might your end result might not be what you want, but I can guarantee you there are paths and there are different opportunities throughout that path. <coughs> but you will find success as long as you put in that hard work.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I look back, uh, if you think about '88. And I worked while well, I was a hockey player from when I was eight. So well, I was a hockey player until I was 25 years old. I want to get into and that I, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I worked my tail off being a hockey player. Um, and I had a lot of fun too. I mean, we all, at those days, it was a lot of beer drinking and, and old school uh, hockey. But um, you know, you dream about being a hockey player and I tell you, I, I can, I worked, I was in shape. I was phenomenal shape. Uh, and you, you know, kind of the end of the tunnel came and it was like it was over you realize it's over and then but as you get into a career of another sort like i did in the car business i worked out of fear and i say that seriously because i didn't want to fail and i, I worked seven days a week i lo- but then again i loved the car business uh-huh. as i got going into it and i it made something i've got guys that worked for me uh, i've worked with guys that that have been car lot guys or like lot people moving cars around that are dealers today and all the, because of, they just love the business. And then, you know, impact, you talk about impact. Well, how we couldn't win a tournament for until 2010.
0: I remember when you guys uh, came in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and PSP was our first win. We never ever did win an MPPL event other than the Kansas city, uh, Shemazo that went on. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so what, you know, impact for, well, I think 13 was our 10 was the one win. And we never started winning until thirteen, and that was six years pro.
0: A lot yeah. of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, like I, I remember you guys coming in. One of my more, one of my most embarrassing uh, times on a paintball field was against you guys. It came down to a one on one, and I think it was with, I think it was Zach, who I was doing the one on one. I was playing. Uh, I was. It was in Tampa, I believe, and it was when I was on Avalanche, and he shot me within. <laughs> I was like, Five seconds of the match and I was like yeah okay nice shot that was good and, and I, I, I distinctly remember that and it was but it was good I mean you guys were definitely on the uh, on the rise um, and I enjoyed watching you guys come up and, and everything that you guys have gone through I mean and then the players and everything I'm trying to find that right uh, that right match but we but we will get into that um what is so intriguing to you about the car business
1: well it's a total People, business, uh, you've got a team of, you know, a small store will have 30 people. You've got family, friends, you've got things that go on behind the scenes in front, you know, it's the hard work every day. Uh, you know, it's, I've, I've been through a lot with it. I've had disastrous situations. Uh, we've had deaths, we've had it all. Um, it's really a family affair for me in a sense of seeing success. You know, with people uh, where I've taken it, um, you know, even Zach and Zane right now, they're getting into it and you're seeing them grow and learn from it. And uh, it's just a real people versus business. And it's not a, it's it's a complicated business because you've got five businesses in one. If you think about it, you've got a parts department, a service department, you've got a finance department, you've got a sales department, you've got new cars, used cars, you've got all these, and you've got accounting and you got all these people that have to gel together. Yeah. So it's really building a team and, and, you know, that's what it's all about. And if you can get them all going in the re- same direction, it's amazing what you can do in that type of business.
0: Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. You know, how many different parts of a, uh, a dealership there that goes into it? I mean, it, it, it's crazy.
1: Well, we get a snowstorm and you got your lot guy blowing cars from the inside out, which is totally wrong. You know, people are driving by every day and you see your your car still snowed in after two days, of big snowstorm. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we start from the outside in. It's, it's simple stuff like that. It's, it's doing the walks. It's getting there at eight in the morning and, and cleaning the lot and you know, th- little things that add up to big things. And that's yeah. part of life in general. I mean, and you know, I'll keep going back to the impact story, but uh, that's what I've tried to teach our guys is the little things look after the big things.
0: No, absolutely. Um, so let's, let's go back to your earlier years and, uh, in- were you an athlete when you were younger or, or were you interested in anything else but hockey when you were younger
1: uh, well in school it was uh, you know I wasn't the best student I'll be honest on that I, I got my grade 12 and and I made a commitment when I, I left home when I was 16 years old to go to play Portland Winterhawks in junior and uh, but prior to that if you go back to when I was eight and nine, Uh, junior high was good and I was always active. We were playing hockey as a 10 year old and, and loving the game. I was a provincial, uh, champion in wrestling, uh, very competitive in anything and everything. I played rugby. Uh, won the, I went to the Canadian nationals with the Alberta team when high school. So I did everything. I didn't play football. I wasn't a football guy. I played a little bit of baseball.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, swam. I was a swimmer. I actually out swam, uh, Oliver Lang, just so you know, (laughs) On Uh, record. On record in in Malaysia, he wanted a swim race and I was the old guy and I ended up touching the rope before he, he'll, he'll always, he won't, he probably won't, won't live that, that down. He won't live that down. <laughs> and, uh, Brian Greenspan was in that race too. And I beat him too. So, Ooh. but, uh, but that was the fun times, but yeah, it was very competitive. Uh, in hockey, it was, you know, the goal was to play the NHL and I can always remember, You know leaving home at 16 making a commitment. I'll get my high school. I went to school in Portland. I went to uh, college in Portland I went back in summer school So the commitment was there. I learned the discipline very young for some reason that you know, you live by your commitments Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and uh, so that was good and then uh, You know, I always remember going to to my first training camp in Chicago. I drove to Chicago uh, uh, And I worked out man. I worked out. that's all I did all summer getting ready for Chicago I want to be in the best shape. And I did. I was there. There I mean, back then in 79, you have to think about when players went to training camp, pro players, Hmm. they went to training camp to get in shape. Well, when I got to training camp, I was in shape. So these guys were standing still. And, uh, you know, I was pegged for the Atlantic Coast League and I made the American League their number one farm team, which was to me was an accomplishment. And that was, you know, that's kind of where. Yeah. So
0: I mean, is that when you is that the point in your life when you kind of you know, looked around and went, okay, this is going somewhere. Well, you know, and uh, again, uh, and when you, when you go from
1: junior, you're, you know, you kind of get through that junior hockey stage of being on a team. You're there going to be there for three years, but in the pros, I mean, that's where you turn into a man from junior because junior, you're a kid still. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you're playing with men and it's a different game. Uh, it's a lot more mature. There's a lot more things going on. Uh, You got to look after yourself. You got to be prepared. Uh, You know, there's nobody babysitting you. Whereas in junior, you had, you know, you had, you lived with parents. You lived with at home like you were still living at home. But then you move out and you're on your own, and it's a different world. I mean, you all of a sudden you got nobody to really talk to at times, and uh, you're living in a foreign place. I lived in Moncton, Springfield, and uh, you know, you become a man. That's really at 19 years old. I'm on my own. But you still had your teammates and all that. You know, that's all part of the hockey game.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, but, I mean, I, I tell you, it was the first year in pro. I was, you know, last guy cut from Chicago. You know, I had high hopes. I was just flying. And then you get down, sent down to the farm team. Okay, you make the number one farm team. And then, you know, I sat for the first 15 games. and never saw the ice. Really? You know, what's going on? And then at the end of the year, I get sent down. Uh, and at that time, and it still happens today, March, there's the deadline cut line. And if you're that top 20 player, you're going to stay on the team or they bring someone back from Europe or whatever. And I was one of those guys that got sent down to the Atlantic coast league. If you can believe this, and you'll remember the movie slap shot, there's always a good little story here. Um, and I was with a team called the Hampton aces. I got sent down for the last 12 games of the year and uh, my first year pro and, and, uh, I'm in the dress room in Hampton. We still have three road games left and the team folds. I'm in the dress room. I'm kind of the newbie there yeah. in a young team. So the team folds and the guys get together. well, let's, you know, let's finish the road trip, let's go. So we go to Erie and that, and it ends up we're the Hansons, who played in the, in the movie Slapshot. Really? So I played against the Hansons, if you can believe it, in the, in the farm teams. And that was my real uh, learning process of understanding what it was like to be on the outside. Cause I got sent down and then nobody really cared after that. I was gone. It was like, a, you know, I've been with a team all year and then all of a sudden it didn't matter anymore. So, you know, in life it's tough because you think you're, you're so important to the team, uh-huh. but you're really just a number. Yeah. Um, as hard as that's to say, because you're part of the team will make the best of it is when you're there and you can do as much as you can. But if you're cut or you move on, I mean, they move on to other people, same as business. We all move on. A new salesman, a new new manager. The business will always survive. It's just part of the world. So I learned a lot then.
0: Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna you, you almost have to refer it, uh, reference the business in that standpoint because they're always trying to get better and they're trying to fit the puzzle pieces in. And if you don't fit, I mean, you don't fit. No matter no matter what you do, if they don't see it working out, I mean, there's nothing there's nothing you can do. I've, I've obviously never been in that situation before as as far as that high of level. Um, but I can imagine it's, 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 it's fairly easy to know that if something's not working or if something is working, that the higher ups are going to make that decision. And you know, it it is what it is when it comes down to it.
1: Yeah. You just don't have a choice at sometimes and you're doing your, you're doing your best and then it's, it's not good enough. And, but you know, it's, Again, I, I, if I put it to business and to into the hockey world, getting sent down was probably the, one of the good. Things to realize you got to do a little bit better. You got to work a little harder, or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, you're not the right fit right now, or or they had somebody else come in that was better. And so be it. I mean, it happened to me three years later. I was in Switzerland playing, and they called me. The Oilers called me in Switzerland, said, "Hey, we want you to come back and play for our farm team to help us get in the playoffs." It was my last year pro hockey, but I hear I get the call from Europe now. I'm the Europe guy coming back and they had to drop somebody off the roster to make room for me Mm -hmm. who they're trying to improve their team. So it's just, it's the dominoes. It's, it's eat or be eaten, right? It's life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I mean, I think that's one thing I love about hockey too is, I mean, you're not the biggest guy in the world too. And, and you know, I, I, what I like about hockey is that, um, I think a perfect example is Brad Marchand, from uh, yeah. from Boston. I mean, yeah. he, he's not very big at all, but he is. As much as I hate him too, the the guy can play hockey, and it's crazy how he can just be in the right place at the right time. He doesn't have to throw the big hits. He will if he needs, you know. Or even Pavel Datsuk. I mean, he will. He his timing. The timing is there, and as long as you can do that, you will have those other guys that will do all the manhandling for you.
1: Well, if you think back to the '80s, '90s, the early 2000s, the player was a lot bigger. The game has changed in the game of hockey. You know, hockey's is, there is no hooking or, or you know that you can't hit anybody in the right way, the wrong way. Today, it's it, the game has totally changed from when, when I played. Yeah, I mean, I played with uh, big guys, but so I'll call him, and I was five eight. <laughs> I was 178 pounds. I would lose six pounds a game. Yeah, um, and I was one of the fastest guys on the ice. Um. You know, when I went to the Oilers training camp, the they time trials, I was second fastest on the team. So, but it, again, it didn't help me because I was so small, but yet I was, I was good. But it was just an, a numbers game back then. It, mm-hmm. it was weird because I left Chicago to go to Edmonton thinking, hey, Oilers hadn't won a Stanley Cup, you know, and it's my hometown. Maybe I'll get a break and blah, blah. And I was good. I was a good hockey player. I led the American League in scoring for 65 games. And, oh. uh. You know, but it just didn't happen for me. And, uh, you know, the last year with Chicago, I left and went to the Oilers, as I said. And then next year, they're calling everybody up because there's so many injuries. And a guy gets a chance to play in the big leagues. You make the best of it. And then all of a sudden you get that break and all of a sudden you earn your way in. And it's not really a, you know, I will honestly say guys, guys will make it because of a contract that they've earned because they had a great career in junior or, or college. Mm-hmm. The Guys with contracts are going to get the, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. In a lot of cases, so it's, yeah. it's all over the place. I can't say it's. You know, I can only say I'm going to have to say I have to blame myself. Uh, you know, whatever, it's just timing wasn't there, whatever you want to call it.
0: Now, do you follow the? Uh, do you follow the Oilers now? Yeah, it's a hometown now, so we've been season ticket
1: holders with the business for shit, almost 25 years. Yeah. How about, so we've been how about there. McDavid? So, oh, it's phenomenal. <laughs> really, is quite a player. I mean, he's he is so fast. And light on his feet, it's amazing how he can maneuver out there on the ice.
0: It's it's amazing. Yeah. He's uh, just the skating ability. I feel. I mean, he can be so far down the ice with so few strides. It's it's crazy. You would have liked to seen a guy like that playing with Gretzky back in the day,
1: mm-hmm. in
0: that in that era, because that era and this era is
1: totally different. It's a different game.
0: Yeah, I was watching a just watched a documentary not that long ago, and it was called. It was called like, um, uh, like hooligan, not hooligan, or just, it was pretty much just about all of the, the bigger guys who used to fight. Oh, all yeah. I saw that. Yeah. I watched that myself too. I thought it was, that's an super, interesting, in, yeah,
1: super interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And those guys are extinct now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's not a real need for them. And yet they were probably the best guy in your team, the best guy in the dressing room. Um, you know, because you felt protected. hmm. You know, but uh, I fought some guys back in the day. I fought Jeff uh, Brubaker and uh, Ted Nolan back in the day. <laughs> really? So, yeah. Who won? Uh, I always won. I was left-handed.
0: <laughs> there you go. They,
1: they never saw the left coming.
0: <laughs> but, and I've been knocked out too, so I won't say I won them all. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an interesting feeling. I've I've always wanted to play hockey. That was that was one sport that my parents said. No, you're pl- not playing hockey because we have, like, two rinks within a half hour of where we live. And uh, there is no ice time, hardly. And we can't afford it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, fair enough. But I've, I've always, always been intrigued by hockey. And just how, to me, I, uh, I, I think a hockey player is, is almost the truest athlete. As, as far as mentality goes, ability goes, because you, not only are you trying to handle a puck on the ice, with a stick, and knives on your feet. But you're also keeping track of where you, all of your guys are, along with all of where all the other guys are, going 20 miles an hour on the ice. It's, yeah, it's a different
1: sport in a sense that athletic-wise, I mean, as a hockey player, I probably couldn't keep up to a soccer player on the, on, on the soccer field from a conditioning perspective. But he probably couldn't keep up to us on a hockey Hockey rink. So the athleticism, you may be in shape, but you're still not in shape for the type of sport that you play. Yeah. If you know what I mean.
2: Mm -hmm. It's funny. It's
1: funny how it is. I can take a guy that's in great shape and take him snowmobiling, and he's crying to get me off the hill. (laughs) Just get me home, you know? So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, and soccer players too. Soccer players get nudged and they, you know, it's soccer players. I'm sorry if I offend you, if you're a soccer player out there, but oh my God. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, yeah. so, um, so your hockey career, uh, unfortunately, you, you kind of see coming to an end. When does it, uh, is this when you start getting with your father on, on, uh, trying to grow that, that business, that car business?
1: Well, at that time we were in, uh. We were in, the, in the 70s, we were in the used car business. Then we became a new car dealer in 81. In 81. Uh, Honda was our first first franchise. So in 81, I turned pro, 79. So 79 to 85, I used to sell cars in the summertime. Oh. And when I would, April, May, when the season was over, I'd come home and dad would say, well, we'll see you at work tomorrow. I just got home. I was, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow at work. I go, <laughs> okay. So off to work I went. But then the one year we won the Calder Cup in 82 and I came home and dad says, well, we'll see you tomorrow. I said, no, I'm taking the summer off because I just need a summer off. So there was one summer that I told my dad that I said, I'm not I'm not working this summer because I just won the Calder cup. We got home at the end of May and I just had, you know, I just need a rest. And it, it, it kind of got to me. So. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I, you, know, you, you do those things. But but honestly, I was selling cars every summer for my dad. And I, and then when I was in Switzerland and it was my, what happened actually before that is I had, after my first year with the Oilers, I, after four years pro, I was done. My dad said, you know, we talked about business and you know, if you don't get in now and blah, blah, things are going to change. And I was 24 years old mm-hmm. and uh, so I had committed to, <clears throat> to quit hockey and go And then I got a call from Can-Am hockey in Canada to go play in Europe. One more, you know, pay me. <clears throat> Actually, I was going to triple my contract. If you can believe this, in, in, when I was playing in the American League, I was making $20,000 a year. Really? So that Yeah, in the 79 to 80, 84, I was making $20,000 a year, 25. And if I played in the NHL, it was $100,000. And uh, I was never signed as a, uh, a draft player. I was signed as a free agent. Uh-huh. As a free agent, I got a $5,000 signing bonus. <laughs> and uh, so... But again, that's how the times were back then. What what, what changed the, the NHL for the salaries that are getting to go to one thing is that they published what every player made in the NHL. And I believe it happened in, in the late 80s. And when everybody found out what they were making, all of a sudden you saw an imbalance of a guy that wasn't worth what he was worth, making more than a guy that was scoring 30 goals versus the guy that was scoring 10 goals. Yeah. So right there, the agents got a hold of all that information. Next thing you know, everybody's on the horn. Hey, there's no way your guy's making that much in my guy. So the values went right up through the roof,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was the best thing that ever happened in the NHL for the player. Right. So um, so again, back to what up to my story is, I then I then I got a contract from Switzerland to go play for 60000 I made triple the money my last year. Mm-hmm. Oilers phone me at the end of the year of my first year in Switzerland and say, come on back and we'll pay you another 20,000. So I made about $80,000 my last year in 1985. At the same time I was kind of getting done in my hockey career and, and my dad phones me in Switzerland. And says, cause I was always selling cars from the summer. I thought I would go and keep going and selling cars when I got back. He says, uh-huh. you're going go to go in the parts department. So the attitude for me was great. I'll go wherever you sit, take me. So, but that, that really helped me in a lot of educating me from a, from a backend forward in the car business. Because I started in the parts then instead of just selling cars. Right. So I learned the parts, the service side, and I worked my way through. So, And that's really got me going. <clears throat> and then eventually I worked my way into management, running the two stores, and I became a general. And that's when I got my opportunity with Chrysler. And, and knowing what I knew at, in those times, the, uh, the real business, and that's what got me uh, the franchise, I believe. Huh. Such a cool story. I was
0: always I was always wondering about that of uh, you know kind of how you came up and, and what the story oh. was because I heard that you were in uh, uh, the automobile industry uh, as far as dealerships go. But I was just I'm always curious at everybody's story on how they got to where they are. It, it's really cool to hear.
1: The big the big thing that I learned and being a dealer principal or running your own store is as at that time. Remember, I only took one employee with me. I had eight salespeople, you know, three or four parts guys. Seven or eight techs, small store. I was a receptionist. I was order taker. I was doing everything. And uh-huh. the man, you know, my rep from the Chrysler came in. He says, "Bar, you're going to kill yourself. You're not. You can't do everything. And ordering cars, selling cars. You know, you're just trying to do everything to everybody. And uh, he says, you got to start delegating, or you're going to go. You'll 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 kill yourself.' Yeah. So then I started delegating, and that's when I really learned how to grow the business because I started. Delegating people to do more jobs and, and at a young age, don't forget I'm 28 years old. And and at that point uh, I got my real break in 93. I got my real break getting the first store but in 93 Chrysler merged with uh, AMC and Bought uh, Jeep Eagle but Jeep Eagle in 88 and then they wanted to merge Chrysler and Jeep together So then I bought that's when I learned how to buy stores Was they had to they forced one of us to buy one of the other guys out and they picked me to buy the other guy out and that's when I really bought my next store Mm-hmm. And then the, from there, I started buying more stores and realizing, hey, delegating people and getting good people to work for you was really important because I could manage more stores and, and grow the business. And that's really when I went took it from two with my father to three, to four, to five, six, to seven stores.
0: Yeah, that's an insane amount of <laughs> that's an insane amount of trust that you have to have in people. And uh, I mean, I can't imagine even running one or two stores, let alone seven. That's very impressive. Well, I always say that as
1: long as there's, there's people that always take from you and always steal from you. So as long as there's enough left for me and my family will be okay. So, I mean, there's, and back in the day, everybody was, it was pretty, I mean, you gotta go, it was not easy. There was a lot of people stealing from you and everything else that goes on. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it is, it's trust. Like you said, Carl, it's, it's and, and part of the impact story right now is trust. And that's what I build. It's trust. If we can't trust each other, we're not going anywhere.
0: Yeah. So let's so let's get into the paintball side. When did when were you introduced into uh, into paintball?
1: Basically, it was Joshua met living in Florida. His parents moved. Josh's dad, Greg, worked for me. Uh, he's worked for me since '88. He's one of the first guys that I hired. And uh, Josh, Greg was actually working seismic in the forest, and he said, "Look, I'm having a son." And it was uh, Joanne's sister, Mary. He married and. Greg and I are brother-in-laws and Josh the nephew and all that. And uh, he said, I want a a job to watch my son grow up instead of being in the forest and all that. So Uh seismic job. And uh, so Greg joined me. Then he moved to Florida about five years after. No, it's probably more like uh, 10 years after Josh was born. They were in Florida. Josh learned how to play paintball in Florida as a 10-year-old. And he kept telling Zach and Zane, he said, you got to play paintball. You got to go play paintball. So anyways, we went, uh, we were on a spring break. And, uh, April in Maui and we had nothing to do we went and the, the kids were bugging me. Josh was playing paintball. We let's go buy a gun, buy a marker. And I'm totally against guns. I mean, we don't have guns in the family. I'm not a hunter.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And, uh, we said, I said, well, we'll go to the store. We'll take a look at it. We took, went to down to the Hawaiian store and, and, the guys were really good. Um, wasn't interested in buying anything. It was like, no, okay, fair. I've seen it. Let's go. And then he said, well, what don't, you got, you want to go play paintball? And I said, well, we're not not doing it. because yeah, let's go play. So up we went Sunday the next day, up the mountain in in, uh, Maui, and uh, we played our first paintball game. Got so hooked, honest to God, we came home. That next weekend we played every weekend for the whole summer. Every summer I had the kids in the van with 45 minutes to the paintball field, and we played every weekend. So you were hooked. I was hooked. I was so hooked Joanne got hooked. Joanne, (laughs) we were buying... You know, uh, a lot of credit to Dale Kerr, who was our paintball mentor back in the day, uh-huh. who's now passed away. Since his, uh, he was a great man, a great. Uh, I thought he ran a great paintball field, indoor, outdoor. Actually, I helped him buy it. Uh, we leased a paintball in, indoor in Edmonton because we didn't have, we only had paintballs five months of the year. Yeah. So in the wintertime, we couldn't play paintball. We had to go down, half drive two hours to the nearest paintball indoor store.
0: I feel you, man. And, I'm in the And field. we would drive.
1: <laughs> we would go every other weekend just to go to a tournament or whatever through the winter. So, you know, that paintball was our life. It really was. The kids were 10. I was, what was I, 40 years old. Huh. And uh, I was still playing hockey as a, in a beer league. And I ended up quitting the beer league after 15 years from when, when I trying to put all the dates together. 87 to 90 2000 was 13 years of beer league hockey after I quit playing pro. Mm-hmm. In 2003, I probably quit playing hockey and went full-time paintball with the boys. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's good. Well, you don't hear very many stories. You always hear the father or the parents taking the kids and, and you know, go have fun. Go do your thing. But it's it's so cool to see that you were just, we're in, well, and even the, the whole gun thing, right? I think that's one of the biggest things with paintball right now is that, You know, we have our language and everything that we talk about and say. And but if we, I I feel like if we want to grow this, we don't not necessarily have to dumb it down. But I feel like if we want more people to be involved, especially bigger companies, bigger sponsors, and, and grow this thing, I think we really have to watch what we say, how we represent ourselves, how we represent the company, the sport itself, and really really, truly dig deep and like, okay, how can we do this thing? How can we grow and stop being so selfish on what we're doing and really think about where we, where we want to take this thing. Cause we're not going to be in the sport, you know, forever. Right. And, and really, and your involvement in, uh, in the league now is, and I know, and I know this for a fact that you, you want to grow the sport. You want to take it in a direction where we can make paintball what it should be. Right. And, and, I, and I think there's certain things that we really need to do, as far as media goes, um, to, to make the events bigger, to make them more popular, to make paintball itself more popular. There's things that we need to do and put in place in order for that to happen.
1: Well, Carl, you've, na- you've nailed it on the head in a sense. I really believe, and I will t- I can give you examples, and you know, we've talked about teamwork right now. Selfishness in this game is the issue that I think manufacturer, paintball fields, the player, all of us in this game. The one thing we can make a difference is I think we need a marketing campaign. I think we need to start. All of us need to chip in somehow, some way to create a marketing campaign that that is you have to understand if you're going to sell something, you have to advertise it. Uh If I'm going to sell my house, I got to I got to advertise it. If I'm going to sell my shirt. I have to advertise it. And, you know, the, the paintball game is so safe. In my eyes, everybody knows it's safe that plays it. Mm-hmm. Injuries are, are bar none. We don't have injuries per se. Yeah, It just doesn't happen. And, and recreational, uh, when you think about the, the field game or the rec ball, I mean, nobody ever got hurt. You know, it, It's a game that's so safe, And but I don't think we market it that way. We don't market it how safe the game is. It's a great game to play, it's team building. All these things that we talk about, an individual field will talk about it, mm-hmm. But we need to put our money together from a from a field perspective from a sponsorship perspective and start building a chest of money that we can take to the market however which way we can because if I think we can start marketing this game in a more of a get it above the wire rather than below the wire all the time then we'll have success and we'll have a long term game that's going to help everybody. But that's I've talked about this with our with our owners and, and, and internally how we need to create whether it's a dollar a box of paint that goes to a fund the field owner can throw in, you know, I do it with the car business. We, we do it. We spend money as a group. We collectively put our money together and we go out there and market our product. Yeah. We make it, we make it what it is, but we're not doing that in the paintball world. I really believe that we're not working together as a field owner, as a paintballer, as a manufacturer. If we can get everybody working together and put some funds into a, to a campaign, we can make a difference but we got to get it started somehow, some way. And I, that's, that's in the back of my plate right now to start doing those, that kind of thing right now, because the next stage is the Olympics. We're talking about the Olympics. How do we apply? You know, this game qualifies. We know that right now, but we need to qual. We need to go in and that's a three, four year win- window of trying to get into
2: there.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, so there's lots on the horizon for us as far as the NXL and what it's done and how we think and how, how can we grow the game? So we're, but we need to take those little steps to make the things happen. And I think my goal now is to start thinking about how we can create a fund that can start marketing the game. Because with everything else that's going on around us in the real world of the guns, it's scary. And, and that's gonna affect us, I think. And I'm unfortunately, there is a difference in the real gun, and I, it's just different. And I I, hate, I don't, and that's why I think we have a hard time with outside sponsorship.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's why we have to market ourselves in a way to where we, you know, just like you said, where it is safe. Um, we use paintball markers, not paintball guns. I mean, I've, I've been consciously trying to correct myself anytime time I say, you know, uh, anytime I'm going to say gun, I say marker or, you know, and I, and I tr- always try and, you know, help out kids at the field or even parents if they have any questions, let them know how safe the sport is. And I think, I, I think you're exactly right. We need some kind of fund. Or, 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 some kind of, uh, you know, collection to where we can put towards advertising. Put towards, hell, um, who was I talking? You about know, that? you can't even
1: go. I can't go play hockey with my kid and get on the line with him and play hockey with him, but I can sure go play paintball with him on the same line. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Where do you get that? You know, soccer. I'm not out there playing with the kids in soccer. I played with my kids from 10 years old till today. I mean, if I wanted to keep playing like Alex. I could still be playing with my kids. Yeah. It's an amazing game in my eyes and but but we're not we're not selling it that way. You know yeah. parents are parents are busy we understand that but still there's a day that you can go golf with them. Okay, but you can go compete with your kid in a game of paintball. You can't do that in every sport. Yeah. Yeah. it's, amaz- it's a it's a great game and the people in this sport are great people. Yeah, there's so I, many good people. It's amazing.
0: The the friendships and and I've explained it this way too. It's like if you're in and I try to explain this to the kids coming up and the youngsters coming up in the sport who want to play pro. And I'm like, if you're in this sport to, and your one focus is to go pro and make a bunch of money and do all this, it can be done. People have done it, right? You, you I mean, you got to be in the right place at the right time. You have to work your ass off. There's a lot of things you have to do. But if you go into it with an open mind and you, you earn relationships with people and really earn friendships and, in this whole thing that, that, that encompasses what paintball is in the community. I mean, that's where yeah. you're going to be rich. I mean, I'm rich, I'm rich in friendships that I've made. Yeah. You know, over oh, the yeah. Years. Exactly. So yeah, that's exactly that. Yeah. It, it's, but, but we have to do something. And I, and I feel like, um, you know and even something like this even a even a podcast where where people listen to it and they and the ideas at least get out there and they can listen to you know i'm i'm still going to say that i was at least a little bit of a contributor to the four pods that go that are over in <laughs> europe <now. laughs> but i've been preaching that for a while cuz it's just you know it is what it is but um but there i mean there are a bunch of other ideas that i have that i feel you know and they're not all great ideas and i'll admit that but i think it's talking about them and really trying to figure out how how to make this into something that we can sell, you know, and advertise as something easy to follow, fun to play, and uh, even on the tournament side. Um, but I, 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 I want to talk to you about Go Sports and releasing, um, and I don't know how all it works, what who's with who or whatever, but releasing uh, Fridays for free, or at least this past Friday for free. Do you know the numbers on what Friday brought in as far as YouTube and, and Facebook goes?
1: You know what, what kind of audience they had for the Friday. Yeah. What do you think?
0: I heard Give it was. I heard it was extremely good.
1: It was extremely good. Yeah. From and what we, I've heard.
0: Yes, and and I think. So again, true. but your your pitch there is,
1: you know that we ran the the we ran it for the first year and it was very expensive. And I know yeah. when uh, when Dave Youngblood had it. You know, he was up there in costs and I, you know, it, it's really not an easy thing to pay for. So in saying that, when you get those kind of numbers that they got on the Friday and probably Saturday, Sunday would have probably even gone even higher. Yeah. Um, how do you pay for it? And, and you know, it's, it, yeah, it's great to say it's free, but there's a cost of it. And, and, and it's not easy to run a tournament. I'll be honest. I thought being a standalone, because we ran the MPPL, Mm-hmm. Um, I was involved in that and, and oh, really? you know, we were, yeah, I, I was one of the owners. I was one of the 16 owners.
0: Oh, there's 16.
1: <laughs> it was, well, that's how we started the league. Everybody threw in their, uh, we threw in our $10,000 and, uh, everybody threw in 10. We started with $160,000 to run, start the MPPL
0: back after it, it folded. Did you get a little plaque that said you were you're an owner of the MPPL <laughs> and that's what you got for your 10 grand? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, I didn't get, no, actually, uh. It took a little more money than that to get it, keep it going. But yeah. if we would have had the support, seven men, I think, is a great game. Uh, I don't know if we're getting off track here, but um, the the Go Sports is not. Uh, it's just not a. It's expensive to run. They've got, and even today, I look at their staff right now. Support is huge, and what they've got there. So they're, you know, for them to run Friday was an exception. I think they're trying to grow the the. Uh, the sport by doing it that way, which is probably the smart thing. And hopefully they got some uh, people to join in after that. Yeah, uh, They've got it. They've got us or not a UFC, but they've got boxing in there now or, or uh, um, the fighting in there. So they're starting to grow it and, and hopefully they're successful. I mean, that's, it's a great format. Yeah. Um,
0: I'm not, knocking, I'm bird. not knocking them. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying no, to, you know, I'm not trying to knock yeah. them or anything, yeah. but the numbers were good. Yeah. When I heard, uh, when I heard what the numbers were, I was like, I knew it. I, I knew it. And I, and I think, I think it's something as simple as, uh, and I, and I said it, you know, plenty of times on, on this podcast, I was like, we need to at least get the curious factor out there because if we can get it, if we can get the videos trending on YouTube, if we can get them on Facebook and we can get people just interested in the content and in the sport itself, I feel like it would, it would eventually be something that you would not be able to ignore. I mean, because already I feel like we have that because we are still so small and confined to our small little world that I feel like people are curious. People still, I still get it all the time. Oh, you can turn pro in paintball. Oh, 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 there's tournaments. Oh, you can do this. You can do that. But if you do something as simple as what they did on Friday and put it on Facebook and you're, you know, you know how mindless people get whenever they get on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And they're scrolling and they say, oh, what is this? Oh, I didn't know. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, that there is huge. is, is huge yeah. to me. And it just takes the right amount of people or person to see that and go, I want to know more. You know, and, and then that's... Well, you, that's Tom Cole
1: go. and I were talking the other day, and uh, he said, you realize, Bart, there was a commercial on the Super Bowl for paintball back in
0: 1984.
1: 84? 84. Wow. So, yeah. Think of that. It was actually a commercial. Well, so GoPro, exposure. Hey,
0: okay? uh, uh, GoPro had a yeah. uh, they had a commercial, and uh, I think I was talking to uh, Greenspan about this. Uh, GoPro had a commercial where it, when one of their cameras was sitting on the ground, and then like a, a a dirt bike went by, and then it got splashed, and then it got shot with a bunch of paintballs, and uh, I was like, that right? I mean, we need to we yeah. need to get this involved. There obviously there's something there, and whether it be, I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm just a little i am I'm, I'm a, I'm a player and I'm, I just have ideas and whatnot, but I feel like, uh, I mean, do you see some kind of a player's union or team union happening at all? And maybe some kind of I uh, I don't even know where to go. You I, know, didn't, I, I didn't go to business school, so I really have no idea. Yeah. What I'm about. <laughs> the
1: union side of things or a player's union isn't really, it depends what your goals are in that sense or what your objectives are to, to accomplish with that, because it's a different you know, the union is, I mean, I belong to it. And when I played in the American League, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's 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 trying to protect what you have as a player, right? It's, it's really uh, in trying to benefit more, get more benefits or whatever it could be. It depends on the goals. So right. player union, I don't, I mean, again, I'm back to where if we want to grow the sport, you know, I got to figure out how to way to grab the field owners. Yep. How we can get the field owners to start participating in a, in a group thing where if there's a thousand or 1500 field owners across the United States and North, um, you know, Canada, whatever worldwide. I mean, we've got an opportunity with this, uh, with the, with the card system that we've just generated through the NXL, which, you know, we can put a certain amount of funds from each card to a fund and we can start it there. I mean, maybe that's part of the leader. And he just gave me an idea Carl. So, uh, maybe that's where we start it a fund that's going to generate a marketing campaign. Again, back to the union side of things for players. I've been on one, I've, i i i I've been a part of it. I've even been a rep for it, so I understand it. But it mm-hmm. depends on your goals and what you want to accomplish with a player. Uh, with a player uh...
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of it like that, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I guess it's just um, because I feel like right now there's, there's such a totem pole of players, not just talent-wise, but I feel like, like overall there's such a difference of, um, obviously, Impact is a, is a well-funded team. But are overall, I mean, amazing players. Don't get me wrong, but you know, compare them to some of the other teams, and it's, you know, in other sports, you have that that cap, or even that base pay, right, or something like that. And I feel like the player, the 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 basic paintball player, professional paintball player, we're not contracted. We're not. It's only, it's almost like handshakes. You know what I mean with 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 what's happening. And I'm, I want to grow the sport, and I want. I want all that to happen because I know once that happens, the players and their benefits will come along with it. Um, but I'm trying to figure out where the player comes in and what, what incentives the players have instead of going in this, hopefully I'm not going off to track, but, um, but in, a lot of, and what I've noticed in the league is you kind of got to fight for yourself. I mean, you're playing for a team, but you have to make those friendships and those relationships and, you know, try and get in good with this company, even though you're playing with this team, and you know, try and make the friendships here. Where if something possibly doesn't happen, because not a lot of teams have contracts, you know, you know this, you know, sponsorship. So maybe they're going to help you try and find another team. And it's trying to find that where we can get players on and kids coming on and the the younger generations coming on, going. Okay, it it does seem like it's structural, and and you know, there there are local teams around here, local pro teams. That, that I, I don't want to not be on, you know what I mean?
1: Well, it's a, it's a bigger problem, I think, because of the game is, is, is I'll, I'll call it a hobby, in yeah. a sense that, you know, that's, that's part of the game. We don't have the support structure like any other professional sport, right. you know, and that's the problem, we don't have uh, an income that's going to pay for that structure that you're talking about. That's, that's let's be truthful. I mean, NHL, and NFL, everybody wants to go to those sports and watch the games. Right. The problem with paintball is if we had a one visual item, like a, like a soccer ball, like a hockey puck, like a football, people could watch it on TV, but we don't. That's, if we had, you think about it, if we had, uh, you know, tracers like golf uh-huh. on every paintball, what do you think that would look like on TV? It would to me, it would be absolutely amazing. Or brighter, just brighter
0: shell. do you think brighter shell? Would Five even?
1: guys shooting against each other, 10 balls a second, all these uh, crosshair, you know, the lines, the shooting lanes, all that, all this ammunition going in the air of shooting each other would be amazing on TV if you could see it. Mm-hmm. We can't see it on TV. So if we could trace the balls and have it visualized and seeing people get hit and are and, marked. And and walking off the field because it, I mean it would be exciting. It would be made for TV in and in a, it would bang just like that. Yeah. So can we get tracers and in, in all these paintballs? Is it a brighter shell? I don't know. But if we could visualize it, but right now we can't visualize it on TV. That's part of the problem. And what we, we watch our our ghost sports now, we understand the game because we enjoy it. Uh-huh. But put me in front of get me somebody that's never played the game and put him in front of it. They don't have a clue what's going on. This guy's just walking off the field. What happened? Put my grandma no in
2: front idea. of it, see what happens.
1: Right.
0: So to me, that's our biggest challenge.
1: And I don't know if it will ever get solved.
0: Mm-hmm. So I have, a, I, I have a pitch for you. What do you think about a professional standalone league? Where it's the NXL, but you have your amateur league, which is all your divisionals, up to maybe semi-pro, or you can have semi-pro be with the pro. But you have your, all your divisional leagues, and then you have these separate events. That are just semi-pro or pro, and you make it exclusive. You know, people can come and watch, and I feel like people will. And you, you, you just have the pros play these events in these cities where all these other, you know, the popular cities where the where paintball is. Well, we've talked about that, and honestly, we haven't. We've
1: we have talked about running a pro league circuit that would just be pros and and limited to that. And again. I mean, that could be something that you could try and, and uh, are you going to draw the traffic? How are you going to pay for it? Uh, who's paying for the teams? I mean, right, right. now it's it's another thing as you think about every pro team pays an entrance fee. Right. So we can't really tell the pro teams what to do because they're, they're paying to be there. It's like right. they're a customer of the NXL. We tried to go X Games. Uh, the problem with the X Games situation was that it was, you know, television is perfect and everything else. Space, they didn't have no space for us. I mean, our fields are you know, 150 by 120 and plus, plus And we had no space to get into the X games. We've actually gone down that path of trying to get it on with the X games. Uh-huh. Um, so again, I, we've talked about it. I'm not sure how it would financially pay, I guess. Yeah. Cause all of a sudden you go there and, uh, the structure right now, man, I don't know. Even, even the structure right now, it's not easy for the NXL. I'll be honest, knowing the numbers that I know, um, we put on a good show we we run a clean it's a very clean event um and I know we're growing it and our numbers are growing and it's great and that's what we need yeah um but it's not cheap like well, there's a lot of imagine. people there you know you like
0: looking at all those nice ladies and uh <laughs> you know that thing Carl, so we we're, we're trying hey you know you got to do what you got to do yeah <laughs> you know I always thought of and I know this this is probably way out of the uh, the the budget too but was like maybe Maybe a, a Saturday night or not even a Saturday night or, uh, or maybe even Saturday night of, of getting some kind of uh, music artist, you know, in and, and yeah. play the venue. Like have a stage set up like you like you guys have. Um, and and well, we have... had one at World Cup there. We brought we brought a band in last year.
1: Uh, I think it was there Sunday or no, it was Saturday four till seven last year. We actually brought a live band in. Oh really? on the saturday which was world cup yeah so yeah. that was good i mean it was really good actually yeah um yeah i mean we're trying we're thinking everything i mean we've had elephants we've had everything there um <laughs> uh, so anything that'll work that'll pay and, and draw more traffic draw more people in uh i know the nxl draws you know when we go to a certain events we're, we're working with the city trying to promote the city trying to create discounts for our players mm-hmm. you know uh Right now, we're working with Me on a, on a golf discount, and Tom's for me, he said, well, how many golfers play in the, in the paintball world? I said, well, probably 50% of us play, play golf,
2: mm-hmm. but are we going to golf
1: during that weekend? Probably not, right? We don't have time. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking at all things. It's amazing what we talk about trying to try and create the, the positives in this game and how we can make it better. How do you choose the
0: venues? I'll tell you,
1: Tom's on the phone. Tom's, uh, Tom goes to seminars that, uh, literally is, is where people are looking for us to go to. And we've learned a lot from that. Um, and when I say seminars, it's, it's, uh, cities that, that drop could be anything. And we've, you know, even in Europe right now in the European NXL, we had, uh, we were looking at Prague. We're going to Prague we're, we've got Amsterdam, Paris, we're, we're trying everywhere and anything. I mean, he just went to the PGA tournament last weekend, got invited by the PGA to go and look at their venues and how they do it. Really? Uh, yeah, and again, I mean, the PGA is well-organized. If you think about their parking space and the fields that they use for parking cars, is massive. So, you know, opportunities there. It could be just a field in some downtown area that the PGA visits that we might be able to get. We are trying everything we can um, to try and get the best venues. Uh, best locations at, at the best rate, the best price, and what the city will help us out with. We're trying every in any city. It's amazing what we go through. But Tom is the guy. Camille uh, Lamaski is doing a fabulous job. Uh, you know, just both those two are really pushing the avenues and trying to get the best we can.
0: I wish I could go to Europe this year. I, I, I was really thinking about it and thinking about it, and uh, just with work and everything. I've never been. I've never been to Europe this whole time I've played paintball at really yeah I've, I've always wanted to and never never got the chance and uh, you know well the nice thing
1: about the fact there now is we're going to Prague uh, we had London we had uh, Dublin also on the list again those are venues that we're working with continually trying to find a better place and uh, that's awesome. I think the London events at the Olympics the old one of the Olympic sites that's so nice. that's gonna be kind of exciting yeah, yeah. So but well, we want to go to different cities in Europe with with the NXL now with Europe and that so create a little buzz there
0: uh, And I have another question for you because I know that uh, and everybody knows that uh, that you guys bought out the PSP after What was it? 2015 after one event uh, after, after Dallas. Yeah What mistakes did the PSP make that you are trying to avoid with the NXL? Well
1: if I go back to the PSP and I think Dallas was a good example when a rainstorm hits and there's trouble, you've got to jump to the pump and help people out. And we—I don't know if you were at that Dallas event, man. It oh, yeah. was—you know, there was—you know—the hay could have been used a lot more places. Um, and you know, those are things that, like, if we get into a situation where we get a lot of rain and it gets real, you know, the the event's got to go on, but you can't just let people walk through and struggle with their bags and and do whatever they—they they just drop the ball in my mind mm-hmm. that they. didn't. Didn't help the, the, the customer, which is the paintball player. And that's where the PSP failed. They stopped helping. They put up the fence. They opened up the gates and said, have at it. But yeah. when things happened like a storm, it just seemed like, you know, and yeah, they're, they're going to deal with down nettings and all that, but but it's the paintballer that's walking through the, the mud and can't get anywhere. And, you know, we kind of help. We kind of look. Our, our attitude is if we get into that situation, we're there to help the client. And so we'll do everything we can to correct it. If it's putting hay down, uh, pieces of plywood to walk through an area, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that they see that we're trying to help them get through this event. We're all trying to get through it. So hands on deck, everybody's there. Um, And unfortunately, the NXL's had great weather for the last three years.
0: (laughs) I'm going to knock a bunch on wood right now because of that. Because it has been very generous, yeah. The paintball gods. Well,
1: but think about when Dallas—the the location and the time—they never changed the date on their Dallas dates, and they never looked at weather issues. We we look at weather, we look at temperatures, we look at our, look at look at World Cup today, November. We moved it out of out of October because everybody wanted it out of October. For one reason for halloween for the field owners which we did mm-hmm. but we, we didn't realize when we moved it into november the weather got better <laughs> we got shorter days but we got great weather it's cooler there's no humidity now i mean his yeah. back in the day in the middle of october it was humid hot 110 <sighs> degrees yeah humidity was 100 people were dropping was like melting yeah so those situations were that's where I think the PSP dropped the ball is they didn't, we look at weather dates, even the September date. Now, August, it was the middle of August, hot. We moved our Chicago event to September, great weather. Chicago last year was cool. It was nice. Uh-huh. It just seems like we're doing the right things when it comes to those type of things, which I think is helping us with our success. And, uh, you know, it's just that our venues are clean and, uh, I like the fact, I, t- I preached to Tom, I said, Tom, it's Disneyland, we got to keep it clean. So there's a big push on keeping it clean because if we're going to a dirty event, nobody wants to come back. Bathrooms have to be checked, all those little things, I mean, I can remember the bathrooms are underneath the grandstands at World Cup one year I go, what are we doing? Why are the bathrooms under the grandstands? I mean, yeah. I don't exactly want to sit there all day and, and sit there. So mm-hmm. those things, that are those little things add up for what the NXL is doing today, in my mind.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, because you care. Right, I think I think that's what it comes down to is, is that you care about the sport and you care about the direction, and uh, and this is not only is it the only league, but this is the league um, that if you're going to play pro, if you're going to go up the divisions, if you're going if you want to be on the webcast, uh, this is where you got to be. And if if you can't make this an experience for somebody, a pleasant experience for somebody, then it's just like anything else. I mean, it, it's it's a product, and if the customer is going to be you know paying for this product out of their pocket, then, and if they don't, they don't have a good experience, then they're not going to want to come back. They're not going do to want to do this.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know the frustration was very high with PSP near the end there. And I think the timing for us to come in was, was very fortunate when we did, and, and we were able to do it. Um, you know, we have you know, that, at that time, you know, we made the calls to the pros and, you know, understanding what was going to happen and, and they all bought into it. So again, I was part of the MPPL, uh-huh. And and the, the the manufacturers didn't want to support two leagues. There's only one league that we're going to support. That was the decision. Yeah. So so be it. MPPL went away. Seven man's here is gone. Uh, and we ran a good league then. It was good. It was a good format, and everything was good. Just we couldn't get the sponsorships to survive. Even today, we're looking at the game like it's, you know, five man X ball. Five man regular is you know is there something ten man's having success. Uh-huh. You know what do we do? How do we grow the sport again? Uh, you know, we do we attach seven man again to try and create more? Oh, yes. You know, attach because <laughs> honestly, and I'll be uh, uh, back in the day. Chuck Hanch and myself and uh, Dave Youngblood, we were in talks of attaching seven man to X ball back in uh, when the, when it was we were on our last leg, huh. and for you know for some reason I'll be honest, it wasn't. Uh, I was all for it. Yeah. to tie in with uh, the PSP with with MPPL and do a seven-man right beside it. And we only needed two fields. And because seven-man, if you think about it, was the one, you know, we played one game, one, one point, 100-point games. Yeah. We could run 50, 50 teams on one field
2: mm-hmm.
1: because of the time efficiency. So, But it never happened. And I today I think that would have been the perfect uh, scenario. And, you know, we're, we're talking about seven-man again right now. To be honest, there's there's manufacturers talking to us about it. You know, do we add that? that side of it, that side of things. Huh.
0: So uh, why, w- one thing I'm, I'm totally for, 7-man. I miss 7-man, I, th- I thought it was a great. It was just enough guys on the field to really not lose track of too many people, and, and, and you really played as a team. It wasn't so, I guess, robotic as everything went. You really played as... You know these little groups inside of the seven man, at two or three man groups going down the field, and I love seven man. I can talk seven man all day.
2: Well, but,
1: uh, you but, know I would ask uh, Carl and you say it. You, every anybody I talked about seven man loves it. Mm-hmm. But if you think about the problem right now, is the size of the field. You know, field owners are all structured right now. But uh, you know, impact. I, we actually played seven man this year on the size of this field with this with the change in the bunkers. The bunkers are, I think, make it. That we could run seven N, uh-huh. so it's on the table right now with us to talk about what we can and how we can not do it. And is it is it out there? It's out there. I'll be honest. We're taking we're taking a hard look at it.
0: Are you guys thinking at all about or or let me re, let me rephrase it uh, with Europe, the divisionals being four pod. Is that more of an experiment to see if you're going to transfer over to a limited paint, or or is this kind of just well man? Yeah, we'll just see what happens.
1: You know, there's two sides to this story on that one because the mentality in North America is nobody wants to play with four pods. The mentality in Europe is four pods makes it affordable, and you got a taste of that with two. And we felt that we needed when we when we took over the Millennium, we felt that we needed to up it a bit just to give that player a little bit more, whatever you want to call it, flexibility. The you know the game is you know some people say they love the game of two pods. Well, to me, it slows down very fast. Uh-huh. When you're out of paint, you're out of paint and it's, you know, you're not moving. And to me, the game slows down. So we'll see with the four pods, how it works. Um, I think it's comes down to the European mentality of the cost factor. Um, other than that, I don't know what else to put it to, Uh, you know, it's just a cost factor over there that they've gotten used to. It's, you know, again, but you're back to what's, what can a paintball manufacturer can't afford to go to a pro to a tournament and everybody's shooting two pots. Paintball right. says, I don't need to be there. Right. So you lose the support of that type of, of sponsorship in a sense to run a tournament.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, so maybe pro tournaments go away in Europe. I mean, we're going in there for our first year. Right now, I think we've got 75 teams for our first event uh, scheduled right now. We're, you know, we're a month away. Our hope is to get to 100 for the first event. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get there. So again, it's hard. I mean, it's uh, trying to make it go. I don't know the answer to four pods, or whether you know, are the American people going to say, yeah, we can we can go to four pods? We've talked about it, but I don't know. We don't want to upset our customer.
0: So this, so this is my take, and I think it has multiple, um, you know, multiple heads on it. But this is my take on the four pod thing. I I think with four pods, and maybe a few different things that could change. I think with four pods, you start eliminating. The, the bounce shot, the continuous bounce shots and, and practice of bounce shots, which I think has changed the game drastically. Um, but I, I think also what tends to happen is that you know, I've been watching and averaging out the points on even on mostly the pro level, roughly two minutes or less, I average point, I would say. And I would say, depending on, you know, if you go over that two minutes, guys are shooting more than two pots. Or, I'm sorry, more than four pods if you're in the back. If you're a front guy, you know, some depends on it's all situational, right? But, um, but I think a lot of the average points are between a minute and a half and maybe two and a half minutes. And I think within there, you can still have a game with four pods. I think the players now, I think it might be maybe 50 50 on whether or not they want to sit and shoot or. They're going to try and, you know, make something happen because I think that's one, one drawback we have right now, which I don't think is as much now a drawback with the new bunkers, but there's a lot, there's a tendency to just, well, I have a million pods on my back. I can just sit here and shoot this until, you know, the, the game might be one zero, but we're ahead by one and I can just sit here for days and just, and I think when people tune into that, whether they be at the tournament or, or on the webcast and they tune into that and they go well, nothing's happening. I mean, yeah. you're seeing a yeah. people and that's nothing's a, happening. And yeah. I think that's a huge drawback. And, and I, and I think, you know, I, I, I can only assume that you guys are trying to figure out a way, whether it be Ryan Brand had this idea of some, maybe some kind of two minute, uh, two minute shot clock or two minute, uh, restriction where you have to score within two minutes. It's, it, it's, it's, it's not a no point. You either get a point or you don't get a point kind of a thing. And it's, I don't even know how you structure it. it have to be, you know, a circle of people, their own brain, you know, brainstorming out there. But um, but I, I think that's the one thing with four paws is you can, you can actually maybe start structuring it because <clears throat> even bringing in the paint companies, you know, you think about it and the pros, I don't know the paint structure of how, what kind of discount we get, what this, what that. I don't want to know. But all I'm going on is your average points. And I think average... Is about four pods of what they're shooting. I don't think it would change that much if we limited the paint. No, honestly.
1: you're right. Yeah, yeah. I would <laughs> tend to agree with your four pod average.
0: Yeah, and I, I just, I'm trying to, and I don't know now with maybe the players having four pods, what mentally that would do to them if they would want to go down the field faster and 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 do this or do that. I see guys ending games with five or six pods on their back, and I'm like, you're, it's, you're doing it for, I mean, for insurance reasons. That's why you have the yeah. pods on your back. So. I don't know. I'm just bitching the bitch cuz I would love to see it four pods because I think that would I think I think it would change the game. I think I ha- I have this crazy idea that if you go 15 balls a second um in semi-auto and you figure you bring the smartest people in paintball together and you figure out a way because I think I think that was one thing that I loved about 7 man, right? Not only the format, but semi-auto I never uh-huh. I never I never shot a uh uh anything other than a stock board. And I can, I, everybody's like, oh, we yeah. had a cheater board. Everybody did this. Yeah. I set my trigger up and everything where I could shoot that thing so fast. And it was a personal thing for me. And if I can, if I can train myself, it's just like a football player. If, if I'm a quarterback and I can throw a spiral into a guy's hands and I do that over and over again, that's a skill. If I can shoot a paintball marker fast, that's a skill and an advantage in a semi, you know, a semi-auto match or whatever. But let's say now that instead of all these players being able to sit one handed and just load and hold a lane like that, like imagine if they actually have to shoot, you know, now they're doing this and it's only five balls a second because, you know, they they can't control their marker. The marker isn't doing the work for them. Imagine how much the game would change then because but now everybody's like, oh, well, it's still going to bounce and it's still going to do this. I was like, well, I'm sure there's an answer to everything and, and you can get around it and and regulate it in some way. I just think it would make the game so much better because I feel like we're getting, I'm on a rant right now, I'm sorry. But well, I'll tell you,
1: Carl, <laughs> I am all about this. I am all about semi-pro or semi, uh, semi-auto. Yeah. I think it's the way the game should go. I think we should go back to it. Think about this. What did you and I do when we had the semi-auto gun? We'd be sitting there in our living room watching TV and triggering our gun, to see how fast we Practicing. could. You get the twelve. Could you get the thirteen? <laughs> yeah. Could you get the four? We did it all night long. Yeah. So what do we do now? Our gun sits in the garage, and I'm sitting here watching TV with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. I can't trigger pull that gun anymore because there's no. It, there, it just sits in the it garage. It does the work for you, so and that's why I've been
0: learning. Yeah, yeah.
1: Why exactly? So I'm all about semi-auto. I, I think we should go back to that. I've 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 stated it. Um, I would love to see it because I think that brings back the real game
0: the player and the players gonna skill practice. The player. yeah
1: it would bring the real skill in the player I mean we're talking believe me we are talking about those things right now <laughs> and uh, yeah you know we may I think the way to break it in is some exhibition matches
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and we might might start that this year we've talked about it is we need to do some exhibition stuff I'd that, love to be then.
0: involved yeah or even yeah no, i would love to be involved. we need to
1: Need to look at that semi-auto again, and yeah, you know what? There's the boards, but the you know if you're going to get caught, the the penalties are going to be severe enough that you're you're not going to do it again, or whatever the case may be. There you go. Make it so so stringent, whatever we want to call it. Create the rules, and they you know they break them, they break them. But you know I'm not afraid of it because we played it for how many years, Mm -hmm. and we survived. So it's not like it's it's not like we can't go and play it, and 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 the fear factor doesn't make sense to me. Let's just. It's yeah. the it was what made the player back in the day.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: And yep. it was a great game, seven. Man. So yeah. the exhibition is maybe one format we're gonna do it, and uh, it's, it could happen at World Cup. And but again, we our our situation now with the NXL, honestly, is we we try and make the decisions a lot earlier than than announcing in the new year that we're gonna change this. So right, it needs to be uh, done earlier on, and people warm up to it and understand it and agree to it. The one thing that we're very conscious of is our customer and and, you know we wanna that's why I don't think it's an elimination of this or that, it's maybe an addition of this. And then it'll cultivate to its own. It may cultivate one way or the other. Yeah. You know, where people will gravitate to seven men if if that's what we're gonna add. Um, if the pros play, maybe we throw it at the pros that they play seven men, and there's a graduation from X-Ball to five man, who knows what we're, how we're going to make it work or what's best. Yeah. But if we, I, you know,
0: 10 man's great. We're looking to the future, right? I mean, that's the whole goal is looking to the future and and paintball is one of those unique things where uh, it's constantly changing. I mean, it might not seem like it, but we are constantly changing and adapting to try and figure out the best format, the best, this, the best, that. And I, and I think that's again why I brought up the whole 15 balls a second semi auto and how we were discussing how it, it brought the skill out of the player and some people are not might not might think it's a skill but i to me i think about when i first started playing and when i first started learning how to do that and, and 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 then i think about kids now and you have a tournament player in a box that does all the work for them they they get these these mechanics down to where they're not even thinking they're just doing these movements because they they're shooting through bunkers and they're doing all this because it, they have this machine gun in their hand and i'm like you're not learning gun skills just gunfighting is not it's not just that's controlling your marker and if i want to shoot five balls in this direction i know five times that i pull the trigger they're going to go here they're going to go here you know you have more control it's like driving a stick shift car really yeah, i mean that's that's yeah, how i feel exactly. about it so yeah, i mean i agree i'm not beating that dead horse but uh but i'm glad i'm i'm really super glad that i get to talk to you about this i'm even more happy that that the things that you're telling me that you guys are actually discussing these things because I'm, I'm not in the room and I know a lot of people in the league or in paintball themselves who are curious about what you guys are talking about or the direction that you're taking it. And, and I think that this conversation alone um, I hopefully brings light to a lot of people out there that, that you are and, and the other owners are out there to, you know, bring the best product to the table and, and the best experience for these players.
1: That's really what we're trying. And, and, yeah, we need to. Yeah, everything we've talked about tonight, Carl's great because it is like you say, get it out there a little bit more. That people start realizing, hey, it's not like we're we're sitting in the back rooms just accepting what we're doing. It's not. It's a matter of us trying to do the right thing and grow it and get get more paintballs in the air. <laughs> there
0: you go. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I won't hold you back too much longer. Um, uh, but again, thank you so very much for sitting down with me. I would love to. Uh, there's so much more I wanted to discuss, but uh, but I, I I would really like to do this maybe. You know, at the end of the year, or you know, further down the year, um, you know, and where the league, you know, is kind of rolling along. We're only—I still can't believe we're already a, a an event into the season already. Yeah, but um, but we should we should definitely do the scan. I have a lot more to talk about. For sure. All right, Bart, I appreciate it, and we will. Uh, Carl, we'll see you soon. Good job, in, what Dallas? Yes, Dallas is coming up. Be All ready right. for Dallas, Carl. Oh, I'm ready, man. <laughs> I've been doing jujitsu. I my there conditioning has been. I, I, hands down, I mean, people are probably tired of you know having me here like talk about jujitsu and everything. Hands down, I have had this has been my best condition that I've been in in my life. And, um, well, you look fast
1: out there. You've always looked fast, though. But if that, but it's great. How old are you now? Uh, I'm
0: 45.
1: Jeez, holy smokes! Yeah, no, I'm not 45.
0: 45. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thirty. <laughs> <laughs> no I'm a, I'm a young 32 is, is how I there you go I say it. yeah you're in good shape but in yeah shape. thank you and then you know I, I hope to continue playing as long as I can but but jujitsu has what jiu-jitsu has done for me is what paintball did when I first discovered paintball that's that's how I'm getting into ju, to jiu Jitsu now yeah, yeah and what's crazy is that um it's relatable I mean jiu-jitsu is so physically demanding but also mentally demanding and it's the same thing in paintball there are these windows that open and close and i mean you've played the sport um it, it opens and closes and you have to determine when to go when to shoot you know you see all these windows so yeah yeah i mean i relate it a lot to uh, a lot to paintball and you know it's just it's, it's something that's really taken a hold of me and it's got me even deeper into paintball now and i'm having a good time but um but awesome. enough about me bart thank you so much again and uh I I hope to talk to you more, even off air, about ideas yeah, yeah. and and uh, ways to grow this thing.
1: Awesome! Thanks, thanks, for, thanks everybody, and I love all you haters out there too. You you're keep it interesting.
0: Hey, as long as you're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, as as it's good. It.
1: It's all good. All right, Bart.
0: We'll see you. Take care. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Good night. Thank you, Bart, for sitting down and having this chat. I thought it was super productive. Um, you know, this is just what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I thought it was going to be very informative. I, I was hoping to get as much behind-the-scenes info as I could for you guys, and I think I did. And I think Bart was very straightforward uh, with the direction that he would like to see the league to go and, and paintball to go. And I think it's, I think it's very beneficial and uh, and and really good to uh, to hear. So. So thank you. Uh, also a thank you to our sponsors, Charm City Paintball. Uh, like I said before, headbands, head wraps, uh, pack bands, which uh, which him and I are collaborating with. Along with, I should have a uh, a signature series headband from him coming out very very soon. Um, but uh, but make sure you check them out, Charm City Paintball on Instagram along with Facebook. Also thank you to ckfightlife.com. Where you can find some uh, some paintball gear like packs, uh, pants, uh, excuse me, uh, jerseys, but like I said, they do some amazing laser engraving work, and uh, and you know just give them a shout uh, either at ckfightlife.com or at uh, you can call the number nine five one two one nine five zero four five and you can get a hold of Tony and he can help you out. And if you're jiu jujitsu, they have. A, a growing jujitsu side, which is, uh, which I am a giant fan of. So, thank you to CK Fight Life and last, Planet Eclipse, who produced the best paintball marker on the planet, the LV1 series. Uh, LV1.5, the LV1, the LVR, which I still have and enjoy and I shoot. So, um, and, but uh, they also have the CS2, which is out, which is a pretty amazing marker now. And, uh, breaking boundaries, breaking boundaries. So thank you to all of our sponsors. And thank you to everyone out there who is listening. Uh, I very, very much appreciate it. And everybody giving me the uh, feedback, whether it be good or bad, anything's, you know, I, I will take it all in and, uh, and just enjoy everyone's opinion. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you, um, everyone who is, who is writing me and letting me know their, uh, their, their their feelings on anything and, and their opinions on things I think it's very cool but um, but a lot of it is uh, is so inspirational for me because you know a lot of people have been saying that they've they've started playing again after a long break or uh, and and this podcast has been helping them out which is which is amazing I mean I, I I love it I love hearing things like that because you know paintball has done a lot of good for me and I, I'm glad that I could do something like this to be able to give back to the community in something so simple and so basic um, as telling paintball stories and, uh, and life stories. So thank you to everyone out there. And uh, make sure you go follow me on Instagram, Carl underscore Markowski. Uh, also on Facebook, Carl Microwave Markowski. And uh, let me know how you feel. I'd appreciate it. But I appreciate everybody out there. Thank you so much again. And we will see here, we will see here you soon, Jeez, It's early and I'm, this blueberry coffee is actually really good. But I'm still not awake yet. But uh, we'll see you here again soon on the Playing On Podcast. Peace.